0: A quick note before we start the show, in this series we're taking a look at myths from modern day legends to stories that are thousands of years old. Some of them might seem a bit scary, but we're talking about them because we want to understand the important role they play in our lives and dig into the history and facts behind them. And of course, there's all the usual Brains On fun too. Okay, on with the show.
1: You're listening to Brains On, where we're serious about being curious. Brains On is supported in part by a grant from the National Science Foundation. A thousand years ago, the freezing cold waters between Norway and Iceland were a dangerous place. Ships had to watch out for ice, for other ships, and for something gurgling in those dark, mysterious waters. They were on the lookout for a sea creature that lived deep below the surface, the Kraken. And when it rose up.
2: Oi, do you see that? There's a leg coming out of the water. And another leg. (gasps) Another leg over here.
1: (gasps) It's got us. The Kraken could wrap its tentacles around the ship and carry it back under the waves for a snack. The Kraken was huge. Some say it was as big as an island, and it was tricky.
2: Hold on! (sighs) We've escaped its legs! I think we're free! But wait, what's happening now? Is
1: that a... Whirlpool! If the Kraken couldn't catch a ship with its legs, then it would swim in fast circles, round and round and round, until it created a whirlpool that would Pulled the ship under. Ah! If a ship never came home, people told stories like this one to explain what had happened. Sometimes, something long and squishy and strange would wash up on the beach. A creature longer than a car with even longer legs. Was this the beast that sailors were so afraid of? Or was there something even bigger out there? Something as big as an island.
0: This is Braids On from American Public Media. I'm Molly Bloom, and I'm here today with Melu from Seattle. Hi, Melu. Hi, Molly. This episode is part three of our series about modern myths and legends.
1: Today, we're talking about mythical creatures that live in water a subject our listeners are very curious about. Do mermaids exist? With this being the record year of Loch Ness Monster sightings, I would love to hear about its history and possibly learn the Loch Ness Monster is actually real. Who came up with the legend of mermaids and did they think that they were ugly or pretty, like we do today? All the times I went into the ocean, there are so many bright lively things and i just wonder could anyone live down here
0: thanks to callie from toronto avi from newport beach and hazel from tulsa for sending us those questions
1: from the ocean to lakes to rivers and streams wherever you find water you'll find stories
0: of mythical creatures so mello what are your favorite myths
1: about water animals mermaids and why are mermaids your favorite because They usually, like, look so pretty, and, like, when you see, like, their tail, and it's, like, a way of, like, combining a fish and a human. Are there other mythological sea creatures that you've heard about that you think are interesting, too? The Loch Ness Monster.
0: Why do you like the Loch Ness Monster?
1: Well, so when you see it, like, there's, like, real proof and evidence of it, because, like, there's, like, a picture that, like, I saw, and it reminds me of, like, a dinosaur Well, we are
0: actually going to learn some more about that famous photo of the Loch Ness monster later in the show.
1: So why do you think these stories about mythological creatures are so popular? Maybe because it's like most of them are like old-ish. And then they're usually a way to explain like something bad, sometimes good, of what happens.
0: Yeah, so when people were confronted with things they didn't understand, these stories made them feel better. Yeah. Well, we wanted to know why bodies of water inspire so many myths, so we talked with monster expert Dr. Emily Zarka.
1: She says that lots of myths begin with fear.
3: Oh, I'm actually terrified of the ocean in the most respectful way possible because um, <laughs> we just don't understand it. And I think that all sea monsters come ultimately from real fears that travelers on the sea have, and still have today, of things like whirlpools, of sharks, of giant squid, of these, you know, predators that are lurking in the oceans or even just drowning.
1: Myths also get created when people feel confused. It can be hard to see things through water, which makes it tricky to identify animals. So people sometimes tell stories to explain what they saw. Emily says myths can also be used to teach important lessons, like the
3: Ikuchi from Japan. It's described as a strange fish that's so long, it could take three hours to pass by a ship. So this is a creature that has no eyes and no mouth, but it was believed to basically just be a giant eel that secreted oil from its body.
0: If the Ikuchi released enough oil, it would flood the ship and it would sink. Sailors had to move fast to keep that from happening.
3: As long as you're bailing out the oil, your ship and the sailors are going to survive. But what I find fascinating about this Japanese monster is that it can't be defeated. It just happens. And then the response is about hard work. These stories that we create are not just meant to terrify us, but maybe it's something as simple as trying to keep travelers safe. I think it's our way of explaining the world and the things we don't understand. And sometimes those are things we're afraid of, and sometimes those are things that are beautiful. But telling myths and creating monsters is part of the human condition. Dr. Emily Zarka
1: hosts a PBS show called Monstrum. You can find Monstrum online.
0: It's all about monsters, and you should totally check it out. I bet sea animals get so tired of people mistaking them for mythical creatures. Like, just the other day, I was at a Seabucks cafe, and I overheard this conversation between a manatee and a dugong. I've
4: got two seagrass snacks to go. Yoo-hoo! Uh, they for us! Ah! Mermaids!
3: <sighs> no. I'm a dugong. And I'm a manatee.
2: Oh, weird. The way you poked your head out of the water...
5: Made me look like a mermaid?
2: Well, yeah. And the way your tail flipped out of the water.
3: Made me look like a mermaid? Uh Uh-huh. Well, too bad, buddy. We're sea cows. And proud.
4: Oh, oh. Sorry, Ms. Dugong. And Ms. Manatee.
6: Oh,
3: we're used to it. Humans have been mistaking us for mermaids since the dawn of time. Since the 4th century BCE to be exact, that's when the Babylonians first cooked up the idea of a god who was half man, half fish. It's getting real old. Uh, uh may we please have our seagrass snacks now?
4: Yes, yes. Here you go.
3: Oh, thank you. Uh, come on, Darla. Let's take our snacks and go for a swim. <sighs> I told you we shouldn't go to a Seabuck's. Their logo is a mermaid for shrimp's sake. Uh, I know, but I had to try these seagrass snacks. Who cares? I just wish humans would swoon over me for who I really am. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm tired of being a disappointment. Oh, Darla, you're not a disappointment. You're a dugong. You're just like us
6: fabulous manatees, only you live longer, have a tail like a whale, and can't see so well. Which, really, who cares? Plus, mermaids are pretty. So doesn't that just mean humans think we're pretty too?
3: No, Muriel. Watch out, there's another boat. Oh. Let's get some air. Okay.
5: Yo, yo, bro, look. It's a dugong and a a manatee.
2: Could it be?
5: No, no, man. Those are
2: mermaids. Well, here we go again ba 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 brains on.
0: Okay, Melu, here's a watery mystery for you to ponder. It's time for the... mystery sound. Here it is. Okay, what do you think that sound is?
1: That sounds like a seal. A seal? In the water.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's definitely some watery noises happening there, and you think you heard a seal.
1: Yeah, there's like high-pitched, like, screeches, but not really screeches. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Well, that is a very, very good guess. We're going to hear the mystery sound again and reveal the answer a little bit
5: later in the episode. So keep thinking on it. (laughs) I'm Sandin. And I'm Mark. And we're back with another edition of
2: Hoax Hunters! We like this but we hate getting tricked. Yeah! We like this but we hate getting tricked. you yeah. We like this but we hate getting tricked. We, like we, mm-hmm. we hate getting tricked. No, we don't like it. A hoax is when somebody tricks you into believing something that isn't true.
5: Today's hoax is all about your favorite giant Scottish sea creature. That's right, it's the Loch Ness Monster.
2: Otherwise known as Nessie.
5: There have been stories about the Loch Ness Monster for centuries, but things really got going in 1933, when a couple claimed they saw a creature splashing around in the loch, which, by the way, is a lake if you're in Scotland.
2: What the haggis?
5: The couple's creature sighting got so much buzz that a London newspaper sent the famous hunter, Marmaduke Wetherell, to catch the monster. Wetherell didn't have any luck finding Nessie, but he did find some giant tracks in the sand. The footprints
2: were so big, the creature would have to have been the size of a double-decker bus.
5: Whoa! But then, a zoologist looked at the footprints and said they were actually hippo
2: tracks. But it wasn't a wild Scottish hippopotamus. No!
5: It was Wetherell. He used a dried hippo's foot to stamp tracks in the sand. You got hoaxed. Aww. Wetherell's hoax was exposed, and the dude was totally humiliated.
2: But the Nessie mania didn't stop there. Just a few months later, a respected surgeon named Robert Wilson was driving along the lock when he saw a slender-necked creature sticking its head out of the water. Wilson photographed the creature, and the image went viral. Some people thought the photo proved that Nessie really did exist. Others were suspicious. Sixty years later,
5: it was revealed the photo was also a hoax. Mm. Orchestrated by none other than Weatherell himself. You You got got double
2: hoaxed. Here's how he did it. After the whole hippo fiasco, Weatherell crafted a new plan to fool the masses. He teamed up with his stepson to build a fake Nessie by attaching a plastic head to a toy submarine. The pair photographed the toy in the water and gave the photos to Wilson to share with the press. They figured more people would believe someone with a good reputation, like a doctor. The photo remains one of the most iconic images
5: of Nessie to date. Too bad it's a fake. That's all for today's episode of...
2: Hoax Hunters! Hunters!
0: If you want to hear more about the Loch Ness Monster, check out our other podcast, Smash Boom Best, where we debated Bermuda Triangle versus Loch
1: Ness. Oh, yeah. Team Loch Ness for life. You can find Smash Boom Best wherever you listen to Brains On. Do you have a big question about the way the world works? We love getting your questions and your artwork,
0: too. Or you can always just write to us to say hello. Head to BrainsOn.org
1: contact. That's how we got this awesome question.
2: My name is Shifra. I am 10 years old and I live in Sydney, Australia. My question is, why do people jump when they're scared?
0: Stay tuned at the end of the episode to hear the answer to that question and to hear the newest members of the Brains Honor Roll. We'll be right back. You're listening to Brains On. I'm Molly. And I'm Melu. We asked our listeners which mythical creature they'd choose to hang out with, and here's what they had to say.
1: A fantasy creature I would like to meet is a Niffler. A Niffler is a creature that really, really likes shiny objects, and I would like to meet one because they're really cute, especially the baby ones. I'd like to go camping with a dragon
7: because I could roast marshmallows with it.
0: I would like to hang out with a mermaid because I would like to swim with it and look for other sea
1: animals. I hang out with a unicorn, and what I really do with them is just have a tea party and play. I like to hang out with a dragon because they're cool, they're my favorite animal, they have so many powers, and there's some reality to them because there's something thing as a Komodo dragon. i like to meet a phoenix because I would want to look at the sun up close with him or her, and I would like to see what color the phoenix has. It would
2: just be so cool.
0: Wow, that sounds like a very good time. Thanks to Kaylin from Minnesota, Ruby from Austin, Gus from Victoria, BC, Essa from Granville, Freya from Toronto, and Lorelei from Boston for sending us those ideas. Now let's get back to our mystery sound. Are you ready to hear it again, Melu? Yep. All right. Do you have any new thoughts after hearing it again?
1: Now I'm thinking that it could be a puffin.
0: Oh, another animal that lives near the water. I like it. Here is the answer.
6: The sound you just heard was a manatee. Hi, my name is Rachel Haywood Ferreira, and I study Latin American literature. Manatees are an important part of sea myths because sailors over many hundreds of years, have seen these new creatures that they didn't recognize and they interpreted them to be something mythical or something that they might have heard about, uh, such as mermaids.
0: One sailor who seems to have mixed up manatees and mermaids is Christopher Columbus. We know that because when he sailed to America, he kept a diary. The original writing got lost, but someone else, Bartolomé de las Casas, made records of the diary before it was lost. Those records are in Spanish.
6: In Spanish it says, El día pasado dijo que vido tres serenas que salieron bien alto de la mar, Pero no eran tan hermosas como las pintan, que en alguna manera tenían forma de hombre en la cara. So what he's saying is that he saw three mermaids. Doesn't say what distance he saw them at, but he does say they rose up out of the sea and they weren't quite what he was expecting to see. He was expecting to see beautiful half women, half fish, and he sounds a little disappointed and said they're not as beautiful as they are in pictures because they it looks sort of like men and not these lovely women he was expecting. Though really, if you see a picture of a manatee, they don't really look like men either. At least not up close.
0: Oh. Yeah, because they kind of have... the, like, tail at the end? mm mm-hmm. And, like, their top is, like, a little more human looking.
1: Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess when you're out on sea for a long time, you can start seeing things. Manatees aren't the only sea creatures that have inspired myths. The ocean is full of so many unusual animals, some of them seem straight out of a fairy tale.
0: Like the giant squid. Brains On listener Callum wrote to us, wanting to know
1: more about these amazing and totally real creatures. So we introduced him to Dr. Edie Witter, the perfect person to answer his many squid-related questions.
0: She's spent much of her career as a deep-sea explorer and is now the CEO and Senior Scientist at the Ocean Research Conservation Association, or ORCA for
5: short.
8: Hello. Hello, Callum. Why are giant squids so hard to see? Because they're shy. People used to think they were monsters just because of their size. But the fact is, we've been scaring them away. We go down there to explore with these exploration platforms like submersibles and remote-operated vehicles, and they have noisy thrusters and big bright lights, and of course they were going to run away. We think there may be millions of them out there based on the number of giant squid beaks that have been found in the stomach of sperm whales. So that's even more amazing that there could be that many and we haven't seen them just because of the silly way we've been exploring the deep ocean. So. I was so upset by the fact that we were scaring these animals away that I developed this camera system that I could put in the ocean and leave it down there and it didn't have noisy thrusters and it didn't use bright white lights, it used red light that these squid can't see. And then I created this optical lure that imitates the display of a deep sea jellyfish, a bioluminescent display that I thought would be attracted to the giant squid. And sure enough, it was. And so I actually managed to record with that camera the first video ever seen of a giant squid in its natural habitat, which was pretty cool. How long are they? Um, the longest one ever measured, they said, was 43 feet. So that would be as tall as a four-story building. And they had those big, long, stretchy tentacles so they can whip them out and grab onto things. Have you ever seen the mouth of a giant squid? No. It's, it's in the center of all those arms, and it's, it looks like a parrot's beak. Squid like to eat squid a lot, and some of them are cannibals. The weird thing about the giant squid is it takes tiny little bites. And we saw this when, when we got the first video of a giant squid off Japan in 2012. And we were using a bait squid called a diamondback. It was a dead squid that we attached to the submersible. And then a giant squid came in and it was eating it for almost 25 minutes. And the weird thing about giant squid is they have to take tiny bites because their gullet goes right through the center of their brain. They have a donut-shaped brain. And if they take too big a bite, they could actually damage their brain. So this is probably one of the most alien creatures you can ever imagine, because it's got these eight writhing arms and two incredibly long, stretchy, slashing tentacles. It's got a beak that can rip flesh. It's got the largest eyes known in the animal kingdom, the size of a dinner plate. It's got a funnel that allows it to have jet propulsion equally fast forward and backwards. It's got three hearts and it pumps blue blood. I mean, you couldn't make up a more alien-sounding creature.
0: So it makes sense that they inspired these fantastic stories.
8: Well, there were a lot of mysterious things in the ocean that scared the early sailors. And when a giant squid is dying, they do tend to come to the surface. And the ancient sailors' tales describe these creatures floating at the surface that were so large they could be mistaken for an island. And if a boat went near them to try to see what it was, they would instinctively grab onto whatever came near them. And they could actually pull a boat underwater, but it, it, it was not malicious intent. It was just, you know, instinct. Um, but they would, you know, sailors would come back with these horrific stories of just enormous monsters, and the stories, of course, grew in the telling. It, it was called the Kraken.
2: Thank you for coming,
8: and bye-bye. Bye, Callum. You asked very good questions. I enjoyed talking with you.
2: ba brains on.
8: There are so
1: many incredible animals in the world. It's hard to believe some of them exist. Totally. It's no wonder nature inspires so many myths. Especially the ocean. So much of it is unexplored. And scientists discover new sea creatures all the time. Creatures just as fantastical as a kraken or the Loch Ness
0: Monster. I just wish there was an easy way to keep up. It seems like everyone always knows about the
1: newest deep-sea trends before me. Sounds like you've got a bad case of deep-sea FOMO. Deep-sea what?
4: Deep-sea FOMO! That's the fear of missing out on hot goss all about the latest deep-sea discoveries.
1: Yeah, what that disembodied voice guy said. I mean, I guess I might have a little bit of that.
4: You know what they say, undiagnosed deep sea phobo is the hardest kind to treat.
1: Yeah, it's true, I read about that study.
4: Well, have I got just the thing for you. For centuries, people have speculated about creatures in the sea. They've even gone so far as to conjure up myths about these wonders of the ocean. It's too bad those people didn't have a way to explore the world themselves. Well, now there is. Introducing Deep Sea Delights, the world's only sea creature subscription service. Every month, you'll get the coordinates to amazing underwater animals that actually exist in nature.
1: Whoa, that Dumbo octopus looks fantastic. Look at those little
0: fins it uses to steer. They look like elephant ears. Aw.
4: These are no myths. Whether it's a cephalopod like the Dumbo octopus or a colony of sea pens that look like feathery quills sticking out of the ocean floor, Deep Sea Delights shows you the coolest real-life creatures under the waves. Choosing our One Step accept box not only signs you up for a -a once-in-a-lifetime trip, when it connects us to your bank account. What could be more legal? I-, I mean, easy. We book your flight, hire the submarine, and take you to the farthest depths of the sea.
7: I'm into the really scary fish. What do you got for me?
4: <laughs> How about a face-to-face with a seven-foot frilled shark? This creature is thought to have inspired myths and legends as it wound its way through the dark middle ocean. Plus, the frilled shark has 300 razor-sharp teeth to catch and kill its prey. Sign me up. Frilled shark coming up. Yes! Looking for something just as fantastic, but a little more tame? Yeah. Well, you're in luck. Next month's deep-sea delight is the Platybrachium Antarcticum. The platy-who-what now? Platybrachium Antarcticum. But you can call it the sea angel like everyone else does. Oh. Its transparent, white, cone-shaped body waves like a ghost through the depths of the Antarctic Ocean. And that's just the tip of the Deep Sea Delights iceberg. Upcoming months, traverse the globe and include the Yeti crab, the zombie starfish, and, of course, the giant squid. Head over to what to sign up and hurry. Seats are going fast for the next set of coordinates that goes out one week from today. That's deepseedelights. What what for your diving adventure? That's deepseedelights. What what.
1: From giant squid to manatees. All kinds of aquatic animals inspire myths. These stories
0: can help us cope with fear or confusion, or even teach us an important lesson about hard work, like
1: the Japanese ikuchi. We've closed the case on some sea creatures, like mermaids, but there are some pretty surprising animals in the depths of the ocean.
0: It's no wonder that the myth of the kraken was inspired by the totally
1: mind-blowing real-life giant squid. But remember, it's good to be skeptical when someone makes a big discovery. Photos are easy to fake. That's it for this episode of Brains On. Brains On is made by Manika Wilhelm, Sandin Todden, Mark Sanchez, and Molly Bloom.
0: Elissa Dudley and Ruby Guthrie helped make this series possible. We had production support from Christina Lopez and Rosie DuPont, engineering help from Veronica Rodriguez, Eric Romani, and Frank Roberto. Special thanks to Monica Bushman, Matt Tinoco, Micah Kilbon, Chris Greenspawn, Andy Orozco, Louis Rinkavage, Jeffy Nilica, Whitney Jones,
1: and Tanya Konwinski. Before we go, it's time for our moment of um 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 um, um 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 um.
2: Why do
7: people jump when they're scared? The simple answer is that it's a reflex reaction that our brain has learned. My name is Sarah Venish. I'm a neurologist, which is a doctor that takes care of brain conditions and spinal cord conditions, and I work at the University of Minnesota. There's a response that we call the fight-or-flight response. So this goes back to the very kind of origins of humans, and we have to be able to survive all threats. Uh, when you're watching something scary or something scary's around, your brain reacts to that by getting this surge of energy that makes your muscles want to move and run away uh, to safety or move and fight for your safety. And so when you're scared, this surge of energy creates that jump and then your brain quickly shuts it down recognizing, oh, there isn't actually a reason for me to run out of the movie theater because I was scared or start fighting the person next to me with the popcorn because I was scared, uh, because it was just a scary moment rather than a true threat.
0: Um. Um, um. I am jumping with joy to read these names. It's the Brain's Honor Roll. These are the remarkable listeners who keep this show going with their amazing questions, ideas, mystery sounds, drawings, and high fives. Eli from Austin, Texas. Alan and Nathan from Glenview, Illinois. Sophie from the UK. Graham from Washington, D.C. Simone from Keller, Texas. Sebastian from Stanfordville, New York. Caden from Apex, North Carolina. Arthur from Squamish, British Columbia. Kingsley from Central Coast, Australia. Ellie from Salt Lake City. Tegan and Bella from Fairbanks, Alaska. Ruby from Braintree, Massachusetts. Gabe from Concord, California. Maya from Wincote, Pennsylvania. Henry from Crozet, Virginia. Dominic from Chalfont, St. Peter, England. Asher from Fort Stewart, Georgia. Archer and Honor from Odenton, Maryland. Ellie from Liberty Lake, Washington, Kaya from Guelph, Ontario. Talia and Juliana from Ardmore, Pennsylvania. Victoria from Seattle. Ethan, Gabriel, and Isaac from Novi, Michigan. Freya from Canberra, Australia. Belle from Olympia, Washington. Yosua from Germany. Presley from Las Vegas. Soren from New York City. Joshua from Kansas City, Kansas. Amelia from Chicago. Riley from Centennial, Colorado. Marlon from Falls Church, Virginia. Aaron from Midlothian, Virginia. Henry from Salt Lake City. Cameron and Hannah from Morgantown, Pennsylvania. Caitlin from McKinney, Texas. Christopher from Mexico City. Kate from Los Vern, California, Lucia from San Diego, California, Ben and Eva from Oakland, California, Zoe from Chapel Hill, North Carolina, Libby from Washington, DC, Justin from San Francisco, Taylor from Auckland, New Zealand, Gabby from Stockholm, Sweden, Jack from Marion, Iowa, Lola and Max from Los Angeles, Peter from Kings Hill, England, Miles and Case from Camas, Washington, Liam from Overland Park, Kansas, Emmett from Kirtland, New Mexico, Ben and Brody from Concord, New Hampshire, Kira and Uriah from Tampa, Florida, Harper from Anchorage, Alaska, Simon from Ohio, Micah from San Diego. Diego, Avery, and Elia from Las Vegas, and Deaton from Worcester, Massachusetts. We'll be back soon with more answers to your questions. Thanks for listening.